This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. I'm very impressed with it. Ernie Green of the Little Rock Nine speaking about the Black Lives Matter movement today. I, I don't want to offend anybody, but this isn't just a group of people trying to be polite and do that churchy thing. These are people who really feel that uh, this country's got to do better. So I'm pleased. I'm very pleased. I hope that this is more than a mirage. I believe it is. Coming up in this episode of Colors. Don't act like you hadn't seen this before. Rick Walker, Super Bowl champion with the Washington football team with some blunt talk about the racial situation in America today. Rodney King was nearly beaten to death 30 years ago and nothing happened. And there have been four murders since George Floyd. So I'm really, really sensitive when it comes to this. We've been given a lot of crap. And so what it's got to do is we have younger people who aren't as racist by nature. Our millennials, I'm proud of them. I got three of them. And they have marched in unity and opened this up. People my age or whatever, stick a fork in them for the most part. But this next generation is open to change. The rest of the country for my is just full of crap. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. With Chris Kaur and J.J. Green. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Kaur, and I'm white. Well, we've got another really great interview lined up today, and this interview is... This individual is known as Doc Walker. His real name is Richard Walker. And um, he was an All-American at the University of California, Los Angeles. He was a first-round draft pick by the Cincinnati Bengals in 1979 as a tight end. And um, he played for the Washington football team, won a Super Bowl with them, uh, and has been off to the stars ever since and rick it's a great pleasure to have you here not just because of who you are but because we used to work together years ago yeah my start at wmal uh in 1989 and i might add all three of us were there you chris and i and chris and i were doing this program called black and white which is the predecessor the ancestor to this and you had been on the program and later you said to me we need a broader audience and you said 28 years ago you need a program and you need to call it colors so here we are yeah if i if i can start off let me ask you guys has does either of you has either of you ever watched the tv show called blackish yes i have jj i have too we love it. We've seen every episode of it. In one of the episodes, 
um, the parents are discussing when they should have the talk with the kids. The talk meaning, because for those of you who don't know, it's an affluent black family living in Los Angeles, trying to make sure they don't lose their sense of culture at the same time trying to fit in in a white world. And they needed to have the talk with the kids. And the talk means, you know, about the police. At what age and did you both have the talk with your parents? I'll start with you, Rick. Well, in the 60s, uh, we, we didn't have a car, number one. So I didn't have to be worried about that. Uh, I had it with my three boys. But my father uh, was a Marine. And uh, I remember... He and his friends discussing it, but by the time I was driving, uh, he had passed away by the time I was 17. So, no, my mom, it was all about respect. We were very heavily involved in the church at the time, and so you just had a mannerism about you, and it wasn't the as violent as it is now back in the 60s. And, and what, age you, but at what age did you have the talk with your children? Oh, uh, as soon as they got drive out, 15, 16 years old. Yeah. JJ, did you have the, did your parents give you the talk? It wasn't a talk. It was a continuous dialogue that started probably when I was five or six um, about how you need to watch yourself. Because remember, I didn't grow up in, in the Midwest. I didn't grow up on the West Coast. I grew up in the South. And that conversation started when you were young. And um, as I got older, there were more details added in. Um, But um, that said, the place where I grew up was a fairly safe place. But uh, just to answer your question, the talk was a conversation, a continuous dialogue that started when I was, when I was a kid and continued, continued and continued. Interesting. Okay. Thank you. That's what I wanted to hear from both of you. Yeah. Rick, the thing we need to talk about today is, is the Washington football team. We know what's going on with that. We know that you won a Super Bowl with them. Um, I'm interested in hearing what your thoughts are about all of the controversy controversy that surrounded them and the name. And a part of it is because you're, you've been a part of the broadcast team for a long time. So I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about where things stand. Well, where things stand, it's a brand new day. I have no idea where it stands or what their plans are with new a new um, administration, would they have stood? They've always been a small gathering since I've been in Washington of, of Native Americans that were opposed to the name. You didn't focus on as much in the 80s when you were winning with success. I met a gentleman um, about 15 years ago. I mean, I went over a decade. I never even mentioned the word because he told me it was a racist slur. And I said, wow, I didn't know that. Uh, I hadn't done a deep enough dive into understanding what the various nations and tribes, their tribal names, there's no tribe with that name. So it was pretty much the N-word. Or every nationality, every group has something that is disparaging. And that was it. So I said, no problem. I had no problem with it. I call them the skins. I call them the hogs. And my name is Burgundy and Gold. And it is to this day. That's all I will ever refer to them by is a Burgundy and Gold. And so I was so happy once they kept the colors, I go, I'm good. I'm done. I suggested, but clearly no one has asked me. 
Crimson Tide in Alabama. But the elephant is a mascot. It has nothing to do with that. <laughs> they picked it. I go, how hard is it? You call yourself the Burgundy and Gold. You get a D.C. emblem or something that's relatable for the District of Columbia, and you move on. That's really interesting. Very interesting. Um, let me ask you, this is a football-related kind of, not really, but kind of. Um, I saw a poll just this week in the Wall Street Journal. And they ask in uh, 2018, what percentage of, of people thought that it was proper for athletes to kneel during the national anthem? This was in 2018. The answer was 43%. They ask it this year. The answer is now 52%. That's gone up nine points in two years. That, to me, is an astounding awakening. Uh, Rick, if you were going onto the field right beforehand to do an interview or something like that, and the anthem came on, would you kneel now or not? Great question. Um, the police brutality issue with it would tend me to kneel. I do not have the same feeling towards the anthem or the Pledge of Allegiance. Really, none of it was designed with me in mind. And none of it is held up to the principles in which it was intended to be. Um, my father's military. I grew up on a base, lived on that for a decade. I have a great deal of respect for all those men and women of armed forces. It was twisted with Kaepernick. It was really twisted and used for political gain. And it was brilliant to make it seem patriotic. And people lost focus of what it was really about. That won't happen again. I think this will be clear as the San Francisco staff, management, and players, some of them took part in that. Um, it is interesting. I, I would be more inclined to do anything that would help us rid this awful issue we have, and that is the infiltration of racist bigots that are involved in our police forces. You know, we were talking with Steve Weich a couple of weeks ago uh, on our program with the NFL Network, and he talked about uh, Kaepernick's objective, which was to start a conversation. But he hasn't said anything since all of this took place with George Floyd and, and later. And um, he has chosen to be quiet because he doesn't want to, according to Steve Weich, to deflect from where things are headed right now. But he he, he too raised this question as well about where this is going. And, uh, you know, he said specifically, he's seen a lot of, a lot of movement as far as players go, but he says when it comes to the owners, the money, he says it's a quote, wait and see kind of situation. What do you think about? Well, I agree. Like I don't, I'm not for the Negro national anthem being sung. That's another, they're giving us crumbs. I want, the, I want an, an African-American owner to be allowed into this boys' club of billionaires. And so that's why some of the more prominent owners have been silent as a church mouse. That tells you all you need to know. You haven't heard from Jerry Jones. He's a spokesman, leader, really the smartest guy in the group. Haven't heard a word from him. So it's okay to utilize the services of a group of people but not then want them to be representative when it comes to decision-making. You know, I don't need a song. I don't need a token deal. That's systemic racism in its earliest stages or how everything is generated. I just want a level playing field. If mm -hmm. I've got the revenue to be a part of the boys club, then let me in. Mm -hmm. 
Chris, Rick, forgive me for doing this. It's Chris's turn to ask a question, but something big just happened while we're sitting here talking. July 23rd, 2020, 12.39 p.m. A story from the Washington Post says, the Washington's NFL team will go by Washington football team for now. Mm -hmm. It says, until a new name can be chosen, that's what it's going to be called, according to two people with knowledge of the situation. Said. <laughs> that is true. Well, I, I'm, I'm with Rick on this. This can't be that hard. Burgundy and gold's fine with me. I, I, yeah. I, that's a really good suggestion. I can't believe that we're going to sit on this and call it Washington football team. Of course, there may not be a season anyway, so it might be moot. But Exactly. Yeah. I'm with you. Chris, listen, and I understand why some of these decisions are de- delayed because they're working out trademarks they're working out with the manufacturers whether it's nike or whoever the big manufacturers are but i was thinking about stanford university when i grew up they were the indians Mm -hmm. they jumped off that without a problem and i consider them to be maybe the leaders of the pack when it comes to a having a great understanding of the student slash athlete you can't even get in stanford through their coaching staff. You have to be admitted through the administration. Then they turn you over to the athletic department. They <laughs> kind of think things out. And the Red Storm did it. There are other people that changed it immediately. Now, those that have relationships like the Seminoles, I guarantee you it's a working relationship between a tribe that has a financial and working relationship with them. I think it's done honorably. You mean I've the you mean the Florida State University football? Florida State the Seminoles or the Braves, the Blackhawks in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You got to have a working relationship. Permission. When I heard that the last year they had a, a Dan Snyder put millions of dollars into this relationship, and then last year, according to reports that I read, they didn't give them a dime. And to me, that was had to be something that allowed this to happen. Plus, his partnership. If you get three limited partners that want out or want to try to take over. There was something that happened, and they refused to do business under the present name. So all of a sudden, when Dan has said he would never change it, and we know never only applies until there's money involved. <laughs> now, this flip, this is not a gesture of me about sympathy to Native Americans. It's about money. So, Rick, when you were playing on the Washington football team uh, as a tight end, were you? Uh, did you experience racism on the team? No, not 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 to the point where I was in Cincinnati for three years. I had seen KKK written on trash cans, people sped on your cars. It was brutal. But again, I was in Cincinnati. From a West Coast kid, when you go to the Midwest or the South and you've had no experience with it, it's it's eye opening. It's eye opening. That taught me all I needed to know. See, our deal out is more superficial. On the West Coast, people smile and they stab you in the back. <laughs> you know, in the South, and I've talked a lot to John Thompson, my former colleague, and he, you know, guys from the South, they prefer the South because they know where you stand. You know where you stand. Yeah, this um, is part of what I was telling you about, about that ongoing conversation with mom right. and dad. Yeah. So I, I just, I learned a lot. I saw hatred. It's all hatred. And I always test children. I can tell, and the parents do this. The perpetuation of these stereotypes and this ignorance is passed down. Because if you go to a child 
I always reach my arms out if I see somebody under five years old, if they're walking. The, the household that's clean, that little baby will put her arms right back up to me. Those that have been, have been grained hate, those kids are frightened of me. They're frightened of me on sight because they've heard their parents say disparaging things about people that look like me on television, and that's how they learn it. So it's passed on. If you want to break it, then the parents have got to, they've got to, they've got to chip in and help. Wow. So, you know, this is really kind of um, moving to hear you say that um, because I have been working in Washington for 30 years and uh, I have felt things and I've felt things and seen things that didn't feel comfortable, but Mm -hmm. you know, and Rick, I've known you and we've been close for all these years Mm -hmm. and we've talked on numerous occasions about some of these things. And I can remember at the very first place, the place where we met, we talked about this a little early on walking into the newsroom one day and a former leader of that place walked in and said, Hey, JJ, the only reason you're here is because you're black, mm-hmm. you know, and this is just after I had just started. Yeah. It took a long time to get past that, but that was the greeting essentially. So, you know, I understand what you're saying about people saying and doing things that are part of that's ingrained in them. Cause that clearly had to be ingrained in that individual to do that. But uh, it's so it's great that you're talking about this so, so that we can move on from this because that has to stop. It still happens, but it has to stop. Well, the thing that the pandemic, there have been a lot of negatives, but the positive is that it has allowed a lot of white Americans who didn't have a reason to focus on it before, because if it doesn't affect your life, why would you invest time into it? You really don't. I've never been disappointed in a white person who didn't feel it. They have no reason to. But now, in because the, there's nothing else to do, and there's no sports on TV, and very, the programming is terrible. Now people have paid attention. George Floyd's graphic display of Let me the worst form of racism is brutality. And you see it on national television. Not that we haven't seen it before. As I let my listeners know, don't act like you hadn't seen this before. Rodney King was nearly beaten to death 30 years ago, and nothing happened. And there have been four murders since George Floyd. So I, I'm really, really sensitive. When it comes to this, we've been given a lot of crap. And so what it's got to do is we have younger people who aren't as racist by nature. Our millennials, I'm proud of them. I got three of them. And they have marched in unity and opened this up. People my age or whatever, stick a fork in them for the most part. But this next generation is open to change. The rest of the country for my, is just full of crap. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I've got, I've got a one that age also, and um, it's an entirely different perspective exactly. uh, from her viewpoint. JJ and I have discussed this on this podcast before. You know, they've, they've grown up around people of color. They've grown up around people who are gay. They've grown up around people yep. who are all these different Everything. shades. And it, they, it just isn't a thing with them, which is what gives me hope for the future as well. Yep. Rick, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, any closing thoughts? No, you, you, I tell you what, with Chris and you, you two guys and watching Chris, who's a giant, 
<laughs> in the industry. And to Absolutely. for him to do this means a lot, man. It really does. Because without Chris, none of this works. None of it. It doesn't work. That's it. it that's, that's the thing a lot of people have missed. It could be done in a lot of different ways with a lot of different people. But here's a guy who's done it. Yep. Before, knows how it works, exactly. knows, what it, knows what it means. So thank you. Thank you both. That was great. Enjoyed the interview very much. Thank you. Thank you, Doc. Hey, guys, stay safe. Seriously, wear a mask, JJ. I, I, I do. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> All right. You know, Chris, I am so happy that we were able to get Rick Walker, Doc Walker, on this show because it was Doc Walker years ago. He said to me, you know, you need a bigger platform. You need a broader platform. And that platform needs to be um, in- inclusive of everyone. And you need to call it Colors. That was 28 years ago. And so ever since then, I've thought of him as the architect <laughs> of this program <laughs> that we're doing right now. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, good for him. He's a, he's a, a really nice person. I've you know known him a long time myself. And uh He's a a gentleman, so uh, it was really a pleasure to have him on. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. My name is Jarena Thomas. I'm an African-American woman living in Washington, D.C. I am optimistic about most things, but when it comes to the issue of racism in America, admittedly, I'm pessimistic. I think racism is based on lack of exposure and inherent biases, which can be overcome over time and in different settings. But in the short term, I think that a lot of people will lose their freedom and their lives before we get to that point. My name is Sue Ann Lee, and I'm Korean American. My parents immigrated from Korea, and I was born in the U.S., just south of Seattle, Washington. When I think of race and racism in America today, I'm truly heartbroken by what I've seen, stories that have been shared with me, and recently what my children and I have experienced, being targeted with racial slurs based simply on what we look like. I'm sad that it's come to this to remind me how real racism is in America today. You're listening to Colors. You know, if you have any questions or comments or thoughts about the show, you can reach out to us on our email. And that email is the colors podcast all one word at gmail.com the colors podcast at gmail.com and we've got an email from a mutual friend of ours who actually used to be uh, a colleague who worked with us at wtop before leaving and moving out to los angeles to go to work for the nfl network his name is thomas warren he had a question for you chris okay and this question he was he said chris I was an avid listener to your core values commentary when you did them on WTOP. They were very well done, and they made me think. There was one in particular that stood out, and I would really like to hear your thoughts on your show on how you feel about that now. The subject of the commentary questioned whether the country still needed to celebrate Black History Month in the wake of Barack Obama being elected president of the United States. Part of your argument, Thomas writes, was that President Obama's election, because he was a black man, may have signaled that the country had turned the page on racism being a central issue in the country, and that we may have reached the, quote, post-racial society, end quote. That was the popular term during his two terms. Do you still question whether or not the country needs to have a Black History Month? 
Well, let me just first say to uh, Thomas um, that, and he he and I discussed this because he came up to me after he had heard that. Um, I, when I said that, I guess I was being aspirational. I know people who are Republicans who voted for Barack Obama, white people who are Republicans who voted for Barack Obama because they thought it would turn a page in American history and we could move on. They thought it would be a healing process. It was not about his politics or anything else. It was simply the fact that this would be good for the country. So I guess I was aspirational. And to use that word I use over and over about me, I'm Pollyannish. And I thought that perhaps this was it. I mean, people looked at him after a while, didn't go, wow, that's a black guy in the White House. They looked at him and said, there's the president. And I really thought that that made a big difference. It obviously now, as I look back on it, um, that's clearly not true or it wouldn't be where we are today talking about this on our podcast and talking about it with our friends. Um, so I guess so. Can, can you can I ask you the same question? Uh, tell me why Black History Month is important to you. I've always thought that it was valuable and I've always thought that it's important and I still do. So there's never been any doubt in my mind about why it was important. Uh, and I don't believe and have never believed that any one individual or any one event would change the need for that. You know, um, we have other um, days uh, and months that we observe. Uh, and this was a very, very important one for the reasons that it was appointed, because at that time it was very clear that there needed to be a bigger spotlight on black lives. So this is a very important thing, and it was a very important thing then. So I've always thought that it was important and won't ever change on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't suggesting to change. It was a question. I was doing a commentary, and I, the point of a commentary is to provoke thought. And that was something I'm sure that I was not the only person to think, well, how about that? We've, we've made some progress in this country, and maybe we're now in a, in a better and uh, more uh, just society. But well, clearly, you know I don't it, think it did we not are. solve all the problems, did it? We're not, because the U.S. ambassador to the U.K., Woody Johnson, said essentially the same thing just a couple of weeks ago. You know, what's what's the need for Black History Month? After all, we've been through historically and especially recently after George Floyd's death. What do you think about that? Uh, I was unaware of it. Um, as I said, now I, I can see it differently. But, you know, I had high aspirations in January of 2009, that simply the fact that um, Mr. Obama was uh, uh, at least half black, or I guess, he, I guess he identifies as black, was going to make a big difference uh, in how people perceived him. They're going to look at him as a person, not as a black guy. But you also um, remember, too, Chris, that he won the Nobel Prize very early on. In his, yes, he did that his, same year, I think. Right. So, and, and But after that, a lot of people started questioning and asking, you know, why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that? And, you know, I think a lot of people have signed a premature sense of, of accomplishment to him being elected. It wasn't, you know, the be all that ended all. It was just the start of some big time change in this country, which we're just now beginning to see more clearly now because of the Black Lives Matter movement. No? Uh, yes. Yes. In a nutshell, yes. I had another question for you, Chris, and this question is something that we've kind of talked about and I've commented on it several times, but I'm really interested in a bit more in-depth uh, response from you on this because of some things that I've seen, not from you, but just in general. Racism. What 
is racism to you? Well, uh, I, I think what it means is um, people making assumptions about somebody based on their appearance, on their ethnic appearance. Uh, it, 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 they can, it can be pro, it can be con, it could be anything. But if you start looking at somebody and you make judgments about them based simply on their skin color or their ethnic origin, then you're being racist. It doesn't necessarily mean that you don't like them. It doesn't necessarily mean that that is uh, bad or good. It's just you are forming an impression of somebody based on, on their ethnic uh, background. And uh, I, I think to some extent, we, we all do it, uh, whether we want to or not, whether we mean anything bad by it or not. I just think, you know, it's impossible not to, not to notice. I, I tend to notice less than most, but I don't, you know, I, I am aware of what race people are, but I, I, it just it never made a difference to me. Um, but I think that's, that's probably what it means. What does it mean to you? I think about it differently. I mean, it's an ugly okay. thing. But I don't think it exists in a vacuum. You know, I don't think it would exist without some other very destructive behaviors that are completely accepted in our society. And we let people get away with this all the time. Uh, and and, and this, these are the kinds of things that form the foundation of racism. And that is, first of all, um, it's perfectly okay in our society to ostracize people, to gossip about people to whisper about people, to try to minimize the value of people, you know, to say things and to do things that we know are going to make other people feel bad. And, you know, when you look at the idea of racism, it's just assigning all of that uh, or some portions of that to some act that's directed towards a person's color. And in my opinion, if we can deal with some of those other things, then we might have a lot less racism in our nation and in our world. Yeah. I mean, people are, you know, are cruel to other people and they know better and they know when they're being cruel. And oftentimes it's not race based. It's just people being cruel. Somebody that's overweight, somebody that's underweight, somebody that's got, you know, acne. I mean, they're, you know, people are, especially younger people tend to be children really tend to be like that. Um, I hate how many, it's funny how many adults you see acting that way. (laughs) Hmm. as children act yeah i guess so um yeah. i <laughs> I, would, I would think after a while you'd you'd grow out of that yeah. kind of um juvenile behavior that's yeah. the name juvenile right so i want to end uh, just one thing um this is the uh 30th of july this is the day the funeral for the late, great, honorable John Lewis, the congressman, who uh, just, he meant so much to so many people because of what he did in his life and was recognized because of the day we call Bloody Sunday in Alabama, 1965. Well, he wrote his own eulogy. And this is published in the New York Times this day. And I just want to read a piece of it before we go. Born in Troy, Alabama To Eddie and May. He said Together you can redeem the soul of our nation 
Though I'm gone, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. That is the title and subtitle. I'll just read the first two graphs. They're short. He said, while my time here has now come to an end, I want you to know that in the last days and hours of my life, you inspired me with the hope about the next chapter of the great American story when you used your power to make a difference in our society. Millions of people, motivated simply by human compassion, laid down the burdens of division. Around the country and the world, you set aside race, class, age, language, and nationality to demand respect for human dignity. That is why I had to visit Black Lives Matter Plaza in Washington, though I was admitted to the hospital the following day. I just had to see and feel for myself after many years of silent witness. The truth is still marching on. Hmm. That is yep. So it was uh, an incredible person. I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that about Bloody Sunday. I'd think of him in so many other things, too. I mean, he's he's never... Anybody who I know who has had any contact with him talks about his kindness, his good heart. Um, he, he doesn't hold a grudge. Uh, he just was a, a, a real practicing, um, what's the right word for it? I would say Christian because he was Christian, but just a, a person that treated people with respect and and earned theirs through his actions. So uh, there are very few John Lewis's, and and uh, we're lucky we had one. Yeah. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Kaur, and I'm white. And this is Colors. That's going to do it for this episode. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. When I first came in the Army 32 years ago, you couldn't do multiple checks. You had a choice. And which one were you going to be today? You were hmm. black or white? Michael Grinston, the Sergeant Major of the Army, the most senior enlisted member of that service discussing his challenges as an interracial person in the Army and the racial challenges the Army is facing head-on. I, I think we, we talk to each other, but maybe we're talking past each other. So I, I think now is the time to listen. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. And before we go, we want to thank everyone who's helped us. Hillary Howard, George Molnar, Mike Jakaitis, Thomas Warren, Jared Ruderman, Dimitri Sotis, Sean Anderson, Kyle Cooper, Larry Sindas, Stephanie Gaines Bryant, Tiffany Arnold, Fonda Mwangi, Julia Ziegler, Joe Oxley, Beth Gibbs, Thedford Collins, the Reverend Ronald Eugene Braxton, Christopher Klutz, Ashley Johnson, and all of the people who sent us their reflections and postcards. And without a doubt, we have to thank Cosmic and Jesse Gallagher for our music. And a very special thank you to the Winans for their new song for Congressman John Lewis, Good Trouble. And most of all, thank you for listening. And just a reminder, don't stop talking to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. 